and the supernatural uh, dimension. And uh, we're going to continue Matthew 10, 7 and 8, if you want to turn there to start with this morning. And so our uh, study is on the supernatural dimension of healing. We thank God for miracles. We thank God this morning uh, for uh, the dominion that God has given man in understanding medicine. We always want to remind you we are not anti medicine or anti-doctor or anything like that. Uh, uh, God gave man dominion over the earth. He, he's helped us. He gives men understanding that is biblical, that is valid. Uh, this is not so you can uh, quit taking uh, medication or things like that. We understand that. And if you'll stick around, we'll uh, look at some issues in that direction in a little while. But but what we are contending for and stirring our faith for is the miracle. The miracle dimension that is biblical, that is taught again and again in the Bible. Uh, uh, we talked about uh, how Thomas Jefferson took a razor to the New Testament, to the Gospels, and sliced out all the miracles and simply wanted the, the, the benefit of Jesus' teaching uh, and, uh, 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 you know, like somehow the miracles didn't play a role. But you and I cannot understand Jesus if we don't understand his miracle power. And uh, we understand that, and so we are looking at that. And so uh, what we've been doing as we got into the issue of calling, and Mike, why don't you read that for us, uh, Matthew 10, 7 and 8. And uh, the, one of the things that's important to understand that is as a Christian, part of what God has called me to do is to pray for the sick. That's part of being a believer. And so go ahead and read that for us, uh, Matthew 10, verse 7 and 8. As you go, preach, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. So we believe in preaching. Thank God for all of you that went out yesterday and uh, put yourself into the middle of, of that arena uh, on Fiesta and to, to preach. As we go, we are to preach the gospel, but part of our preaching should include healing, the power of God to minister and to heal and uh, one of the reports uh, that I got, who, who, who was it that told us? Ray, was it you? Told me about them praying for the, the guy yesterday with his ear. Who was it that told me that? Was it you, Mike? You two guys look so much alike, I get you mixed up, okay. <laughs> Somebody give Mike the mic. Oh, Mike, give Mike the mic. <laughs> and so we had a very interesting testimony yesterday out of the, yeah, the outreach. So it was um, Pastor Alfaro from Pastor Benny Rodriguez's church. We were doing the casket skit, and as I was ministering, he, I saw him uh, kind of dealing with the couple. And he was, he was dealing with the couple. The guy was literally drunk. The wife was just follow, going with him to Fiesta. And, and finally, they were able to break through, and he said the sinner's prayer. After he said the sinner's prayer, Pastor Alfaro said that he literally sobered up. And then after that, he told him, he confessed to him that his, one of his ear, he was deaf from one of his ear. So Pastor Alfaro and said, you know what, well, let's believe God that you can get healed. And he asked him, you believe God? He was like, yes, I believe. So they prayed with him and he literally got healed. Hallelujah. He, he got healed from his ear and then his wife was battling uh, diabetes. So they prayed with her also and I think they took her number down just to hear the report when it Hallelujah. comes back. Amen. So uh, as you go preach and heal the sick. And so this is part of 
what you and I do. It's, it's the ministry of the, the Christian is to, is to pray for the sick. So we got into the subject last week as to why God wants us to pray for the sick. And uh, uh, the first thing that we said is that miracles authenticate the word of God. Okay, when you pray for people, this question has come up, you know, do you get them saved and then pray for them or whatever? Listen, there are a lot of people Jesus ministered to and prayed for that hadn't, quote, technically gotten saved. All right. Miracles authenticate the word of God. And as uh, that happens, something, you know, it ministers to people. And so a lot of times this might be the only open door that you get. What's the function of a crusade? A crusade is to reach people who would otherwise not come to a movie or to a band or to a sermon or anything else, but they're hurting. And we are to bring them to the, hey, God can touch you and minister to you. It doesn't, you say, well, they're full of unbelief and everything else. It doesn't matter. You, you never know what God can do. And so it authenticates the word of God. Uh, we used to quote, uh, the kingdom of God is not to be explained, but declared and demonstrate it. Okay, that's what the kingdom of God is. Not, we're not apologists. I think there's a place for apologetics in the gospel. I do think, and we use the word apology, we think apology, that's the wrong uh, definition. It just means that, you know, yeah, people have a, a biblical question, you should be able to walk them through it. I, I do believe in that. I believe that when people understand uh, the Ten Commandments as not just ten <coughs> rules, that God is up to saying, I hate you being, uh, I hate pleasure, I hate, you know, and, and that, that's the view of God. But the Ten Commandments are a wonderful path to blessing and favor in your life. And so, there, there, you know, there's a place for it. But that's all the gospel is, is explanation. Uh, there, there's, there's a, you know, there is demonstration. Let's pray. Let's believe God. Let's contend. And, and uh uh, you know, I can say that I think that sometimes uh, you and I who are living this life and walking in it so regularly that we forget how radically different this is from the world around us and from people's experience and how people live their lives uh, and, uh, and uh, uh, how uh, unusual it is to live a Christian life and particularly to be part of a church and a body of believers and uh, uh, there's a demonstration element that's beyond, you know, uh, uh, you know, just the music or uh, somebody preaching or anything like that. There's a sense that God is here and there's a demonstration. So we uh, looked at that. Secondly, we talked about it healing as an act of compassion. Healing is an act of compassion. It is a genuine desire to see hurting people ministered to and helped. And this was the burden. We used the illustration of the story in the Bible where um, um, uh, the Lord Jesus sees the woman with the bowed back and he's pretty ticked off because it's the Sabbath day. And uh, these women, this woman had been, I believe, 17 years in this condition. And as she's in this condition, he, he wants to help her, he wants to minister to her and to see her set free. Uh, and what bothers him is that the religious community saw her and made no effort, didn't even try, didn't even consider it. 
And yet when he saw her under such a horrible oppression, he had compassion on her and he wanted to do something about it. You know, there's a big debate about Moses killing the Egyptian, you know, whether he should or shouldn't have and, and, and all of that. But let's all agree that if you were that Hebrew who was being beaten by that Egyptian, you were thankful that Moses did that. You know, that there was something about Moses who you could make the case was a type of Jesus. He is the prince who's come from the palace. He is in uh, uh, a chariot. He is in, uh, um, you know, from a place of splendor and high office. And he sees one poor little Hebrew being abused and by the existing power of that day, that Egyptian, what he represented, and something in his heart said, I'll leave all of my glory, my grandeur, and I will step out of this chariot and I will come down and I will help this desperate soul from this horrible oppressor. I mean, it's a pretty good picture of the gospel, isn't it? Jesus, who left the glory of heaven, came down because Satan, who's a type of that Egyptian, was holding and abusing mankind. And so uh, there is a compassion dimension to healing and just saying, listen, for no other reason than here's a hurting person here and I want to minister to and help. I know that, uh, uh, and we'll talk about this in just a little bit, about uh, people that say you shouldn't make such an issue of healing because you're setting people's hopes up. You ever heard that one? You, you don't, you're getting people's hopes up. It's cruel, you know, and if, what if you pray and nothing happens? They're going to be worse off than they were before. Well, I'll be honest with you. I've been prayed for and nothing happened. I'm not worse off. You know, I don't think that's the way we ought to approach life. Would you do that with a teenager? Well, I don't want to, we don't want to try to help them because if it doesn't work, you know, we've been doing our boot camp for, since 1994. And uh, I, there's always uh, people who, you know, they're like, well, they went and nothing happened. Well, I would keep trying. I don't think it's a healthy in life to stop trying. You know, stopping, to stop trying is another way of giving up or giving in. A desire to help people is never wrong. A desire to see somebody who's sick or infirmed or injured and you want to pray for them, there, 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 there's nothing wrong. To me, that's an act of compassion. I think it would be, uh, I don't know what the, the word is. It doesn't come to my mind, but to be, uh, what's the antonym of compassion? You know, but uh, I hate to use the word cruel, but to say to somebody, I'm not going to help you. I'm not going to do anything about it. So anyway, it is an act of compassion. Um, before I uh, move on, is there anybody have anything right here? This is what we've been at. I see Barb Hart. I see John Rance. And Ruby. Uh, tw 20 years ago, my dad uh, lost his vision. He was a healthy man. He was out in the woods shooting deer, and then these big black circles just the macular degenerate, it just took over out in the woods. <laughs> and, and he just barely made it home. And um, I, you know, it was such, such a shock to you. You're used to your parents just being healthy and going. And then um, 
I, I always, when I went to New York, I would go to Rochester to go to, and it was always such a sore spot. Why do you have to go, oh, to Rochester? And you have to say, like a New Yorker, Rochester. You got to go all the way to Rochester. There's churches right here. And they were mad. You know, it was always a sore spot. And I called the Rochester church, and there was this guy named Tom that he drove, you know, it's an hour. It's an hour drive to go see my dad and pray for him. And then my mother's going, well, I won't let him in the house. I'm like, Mom, you let him in the house. <laughs> but they, he did come, and he prayed for him. They had a great afternoon. They brought lunch. This fellowship with my dad, um, there was kind of a peace of mind. I don't know if my dad received. Oh, sorry, am I over? Oh, okay. But I remember going home and seeing him, and he was slapping the ants on the, on the countertop. I was like, well, something happened to your vision, didn't it? But, <laughs> and then that turned them around. And, as I, and then there was another time they did finally once go with me. Once. <laughs> but that was an amazing thing that the guy would... Anyway. No, that's, that's exactly it, Barb, right there. There's something, it's, it's an act of compassion to minister. And people don't forget that. And it's, it's, it's amazing. People think, oh, no, don't do that. You're going to hurt them. I don't know if I've ever actually had that happen to anybody we've ever prayed for. You know what you normally hear? Even sometimes, yeah, people will have relatives and they're sick or they're dying and you'll go minister. And sometimes those people die and the family never says, you shouldn't have gone. They're always, thank you for going. Thank you for praying for believing God. John? Along that same vein of just being thankful, you know, since 2012, I've been fighting this ongoing back issue where you know, my sciatic nerve gets touched and it sets off. My back goes into spasms. And I just had a really severe one, you know, uh, three or four weeks ago. And when you're asking people to pray for you, you don't get healed right away. Sometimes you just have to let it run its course and you finally get back to normal again. But the thing it is, is knowing that people are praying for you, that people are rooting for you, that people are touching, trying to touch the throne of God for you, that brings a comfort, that brings a joy, not a happiness, but a joy that you can't get anywhere else. You know what, people are concerned, people do care about me, and it, it makes you feel you know, uh, like a part of something and that um, it just brings you a joy that you can't explain. Yeah, very, very good, yes, amen. Uh, Ruby. Okay, so I have two things. Um, I don't know if you remember, but my sister has a son who's just a little bit younger than eight, and he's, I think, a year younger. And he had a fallen eye, or his eye would fall. And so she had come up to me when he was a toddler, and she's, you know, she's like, I, I would like for your pastor to pray for my son. And so I'm like, okay. So they came to church, and you prayed for him. And he made a miraculous recovery. So they still would take him um, to the doctor to check on him. And I think they still kind of do, but he's been healed ever since. And so she was just recently telling me that her doctor, the, the, my nephew's doctor has been practicing for years, like, like 20 or 30 years or something like that. And that he told her that Marco is only uh, one of two cases that ever recovered. Wow. And so I told her, I challenge you, ask him if the other one got prayed for too, you know. <laughs> and so, because uh, I said, I bet you it was an act of healing. So, um, so that was one. But the other one was, um, 
what, along the lines of what you're saying about people find it a comfort. So when my uncle was dying, with it, I think it was last year, um, we went to go pray for him. He's, he's in the hospital, and we didn't know, I didn't know he was sick. So it was kind of sudden for us. So we went to the hospital to go pray for him, and he did die. But he did get saved. But my family members, my cousins and my aunt, they were like, you gave us eight more days with him because you prayed for him. You know, it was totally not like he still died. I can't believe it, you know. So I just Amen. wanted to. That's, that's, that's a good way of looking at it. It's always a blessing. I, I, a little side note, it's always a blessing when, when uh, you know, people do die and, and people have that kind of attitude. That, that really is good. And so, and so yeah, you don't, you don't see that. It, I think it's a, a mocking spirit. I think uh, all of us who've ever prayed for people and believed God and then it doesn't work out our way. I don't, I don't think it's the, coming from the people. It's a mocking spirit that opposes us. So let's, let's move on. And the third thing we want to touch on here is that healing is exhilarating. Okay, it is exhilarating. And, and so how many here have ever experienced, and we don't do things for thrills. Have you, have, have you ever experienced a thrill of God using you? I, is that a, maybe that's a, a bad word to use here. That must be a better, a better word. But uh, have you ever been blown away that God actually used you in a powerful way? There's, there's something about how God uh, has chosen to partner with us for things when he doesn't have to, that he can do whatever he wants to, but that he, he takes uh, a use as common, ordinary vessels who just simply say, I'm going to put myself in this arena and I'm going to ask you to move through my life and, and to touch another person. If you've ever known what it is to pray for somebody and they get healed, uh, and that person is freaked out. They don't, you look, act like, yeah, okay. But inside you're like, what? Really? You got, really? Are you sure? You know? And, uh, and there is a joy that God wants you and I to have as partnering with him. Because let's be honest, we know us. Amen. Anybody else know themselves here? Or just that, that, that God would move that way through us and he allows us to do this. Uh, a couple of scriptures here, Proverbs 11, 24 and 25. Doris, you can get that. 2 Kings 13, 21. Robert, uh, Luke 9, 1 and 2. We'll go to this side over here. John and Chris, Luke 10, 8 and 9. And so we're going to look at these uh, things and, and probably turn the corner and kind of go in a, uh, another direction. Uh, but uh, uh, Proverbs 11, 24 and 25. There is one who scatters yet increases more, and there is one who with, withholds more than is right, but it leads to poverty. The generous soul will be made rich, and he who waters will also be watered himself. So the generous soul will be made rich, and he who waters will also be watered himself. And so... I, this application goes to every part of the Christian life, but, but it's true also in this arena. Ministering to people, praying for people, asking God to touch them does something to you. Okay, that, there's a health benefit that's there. You know, uh, uh, in the world of, uh, that we live in, particularly in the West, about medicine and, and all these things, that are, and they're, they're great but yet, if you, if you ever listen, you know, I, I listen uh, on occasion, you know, I'm listening to mainly talk radio, 
And you know, there's these little uh, health blurbs that come on, you know, and, uh, and they will talk to you about diet and exercise, but they always use things that are, that are uh, uh, what's the word, you know, they're uh, uh, kind of vague about stress, about peace, about meditation. And they'll drop in these ideas that are not, um, you know, it's, it's not what you would call pure science. And they will talk about being stress-free and how you can raise your stress level. Or they'll talk to you about how you should take, you know, a minute and meditate in the morning. And, 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 and what, what, the, what they're saying is there's, there's more to all of this than just, you know, pure science and, and physiological issues. There are emotional and spiritual uh, issues that go on in human personality that are connected to sickness. We'll talk about that in a while. But... But uh, the Bible says that there's something very beneficial health-wise to us when we are involved in ministering to other people. Praying for other people and saying, can I pray for you? And believing God waters yourself. Pastor Mitchell has uh, made it known uh, in his later years that he believes that his vitality, and I want to say that uh, he has tremendous amount of vitality. The last conference he flew in here from London, landed at five o'clock, you know, got ready, came to church, you know, a conference, a couple conferences ago, he finished preaching here on a Friday night and flew to London on Sunday. You know, I don't know too many people at his age that do that. There's vitality there. And, and if you ask him where it comes from, people are like, you know, you know, is he a paleo diet, Pastor Mitchell? You know, what, what is it? You know what he'll tell you? I, in ministering, I'm being watered. Okay, there's, a, there's, a, there's, a, there's something exhilarating and spiritually dynamic to put yourself in an arena of serving and ministering. Now think about it. How often do people hear just the opposite? The, the, the message, the propaganda is you're going to burn yourself out. You know, you get too involved in ministry, you're just going to end up burnt out and frustrated. And, and uh, you know, we, we hear that story. We never hear this. Okay, we, 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 don't, we don't hear that side. We hear that all oh, ministry will ruin you and, you know, and all this. And, and, and that's not it. A generous soul will be made rich. Okay, here's the verse. We all know the one that scatters yet increases. The one who withholds poverty. See, in, in our minds, say, no, no, no. How that work? How does that add up? How can someone live to accumulate and be impoverished and somebody else be generous and just constantly giving and, and they're increasing. You know, how do you do that? Because it's not just merely an issue of, of, of money because we look at that in context of money. It's talking about the human personality. Serving and ministering and giving yourself away is going to do something in you. The moment you withhold and you close yourself off and say, that's it. I'm not going to be involved with people. I'm not putting myself in the midst of others. And I'm going to just start thinking about myself first. It doesn't, it never works. And so God has allowed us to participate with him to be able to have this blessing. He's permitting us to do this. Uh, Second Kings 13, 21. 
So it was as they were burying a man that suddenly they spied a band of raiders and they put the man in the tomb of Elisha. And when the man has, was let down and touched the bones of Elisha, he revived and stood on his feet. That is an amazing verse, isn't it? Elisha is being buried and as they're at the graveside and they're lowering his body into the hole, they get attacked by the raiders. And they get attacked and as they get attacked, uh, no, I'm sorry, not Elisha. Elisha's already there. He's dead. I'm sorry. And, and but they, this man that they're bearing, when they, they're, they're attacked, they just throw him. So much for the pallbearers. They just toss him into the nearest hole, which happened to be Elisha's hole, where his body was. And as soon as the man touched Elisha's bones, he came back to life. That's pretty powerful stuff. That's, uh, talk about radioactive. Uh, having that ability uh, that uh, uh, there, it's a testimony it's saying something about this man saying something about the a dynamic there's just a, a testimony there about somebody whose life a life of service a life of sacrifice and ministry uh, has done something to him that has that kind of impact you know and and so uh, I remember uh, Somebody mentioned to me, I've mentioned it before, repeated it, that they speculated that the man came back to life, but they were under attack and he probably got shot or with an arrow and then he fell back, popped back up again. And that could have gone on all afternoon. And, uh, but the statement is that there's something that happens to us when we decide to participate with God. And that, that it's not self-seeking or self-serving, but there, that the fact that God would use us and pray for people and God just ministers in a powerful way and you can sometimes walk away from something like that and you know it's not you. That you're just a vessel and that God is working through you in a very powerful way. What a, what a testimony. Hallelujah, that is. Anybody here, I'm gonna open it up just for a second, that you could say, you know, I have experienced the exhilaration you're talking about, and uh, God did something powerful. Mike, right here, just one testimony. I remember, it was like two years ago, I believe, my wife was at work, and she was at Metropolitan Hospital. She was visiting a patient, and she was talking to him, and she kind of ministered to him and his wife, and she told him, this afternoon, if you're available, or if you wouldn't mind us coming back, we would like to come back and pray for you. So she let me know, and then I called Pastor Falan, and we went. It was me and my wife, Pastor Falan, and Ruby. We went, we laid hands on him, we prayed with him and everything, and then lo and behold, about a week, a about a day later, they, they, we got a report. The wife called us, the doctor was like, she didn't even know what happened, but he got healed, he had a cancer. He had full-blown cancer, and we prayed with him, and he got healed from cancer. And the doctor was like, she couldn't, she didn't know what to say. She didn't know what to say. She was amazed, you know what I mean, that he, he got healed from cancer, literally healed from cancer. So I, I, me, I was like, okay, God. <laughs> I mean, but just him being able to use us, you know what I mean, to, to heal him, you know what I mean? It was like, wow, it was amazing. Man, what a tremendous thing that God does. Okay, the fourth one then is uh, very simple, and that is, uh, most importantly, healing is a command. 
Healing is a command. This is not optional. We don't have the right to say no. We don't have the right to say, well, that's not our doctrine. We don't believe in that or that went away with the apostles and all of that. He doesn't say that. He says that you and I are called to heal the sick. That's our ministry. So we can't just simply say, well, that's, that's not what we're doing here. Luke 9, 1 and 2. Then he called the 12 disciples together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to curse diseases. He sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Okay, he sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Okay, that is what you and I have been called to do. Uh, Luke 10, 8 and 9. Whatever city you enter and they receive you, eat such things are as set, are, uh, eat such things as are set before you and heal the sick there and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. So this is uh, the challenge and, and, the, and the command that we are given. This is just part of it, okay, that as a believer, you and I should have the confidence and the uh, willingness to go in and pray for people and believe God because this is, this is part of the kingdom of God. Our ego gets in the way. We're afraid. We start thinking ahead. I, I, I uh, believe really, if we're honest, it's a demonic intimidation. Yes. You know, that if we're afraid to go there because this intimidation that somehow uh, nothing's going to happen, they're not going to get healed, or they're going to look at us uh, with a strange look, uh, and things like that. How many, anybody here ever experienced that, witnessing to somebody, and they're open, and then it's like you need to pray with them? And the moment you start pressing, pray with them, you can feel this. Don't go there. Don't, don't press all the way through. And that's just nothing but a demonic intimidation. And so we're told and are commanded to pray for the sick and minister. Okay, uh, I want to uh, turn the corner then this morning, and we're going to uh, go to Luke chapter 8. I want to uh, talk about uh, now for the next uh, couple of weeks about uh, some of the barriers that you and I have to deal with when it comes to praying for the sick. And uh, we're going to talk about removing the barriers of unbelief and uh, some of the issues here. And I think you're going to find this quite fascinating uh, as we look at this and realize that uh, unbeknownst to us, we do have sometimes mindsets that resist the miracle power of God to heal. That they're there, they're, they, they take place in our lives, and, and, uh, and we, we need to recognize that this is often a struggle. And uh, I think that this is particularly true with Christians. And so uh, somebody asked Pastor Mitchell the question when he was here a few weeks ago on this subject, and that is why does it seem that, you know, uh, uh, some brand new convert, Pastor Mitchell often asks if you've been saved six months or less, come. And then I see people that I've known for 25 years, you know, stand in line and say, well, I just got my heart right six months ago, you know, sneak into the line or uh, an altar call and people that have never been saved and they get instantly healed. And then a Christian person will come and it's like, you know, 10, 50, I think he used the term retread and, uh, and, uh, and it's like, well, why is that? We're the believers. We're the ones who come to church. We're the ones who pray. And, and, and yet we're struggling with this. 
when, you know, Joe Sinner off the street comes in and, you know, it's just, you know, just a devil, you know, self-inflicted uh, uh, abuse of his own body and he comes in and, and God just heals him. So we're going to talk about some of the barriers. Let's look, uh, uh, let me give out these verses here this morning. And uh, if you want to read Dave, Luke 8, 5 through 8. Uh, Robert, uh, Genesis 3, 17 and 18, and Gilbert, Matthew 13, 24 through 26. So let's, uh, let's talk about removing the barriers of unbelief. Uh, Luke 8, 5 through 8. A sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell to the wayside. It was trampled down, and the birds of the air devoured it. Some fell to the rock. As soon as it sprang up, it was withered away because it lacked moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up with it and choked it. But others fell on good ground, sprang up, and yielded a crop a hundredfold. When he had said these things, he cried, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So uh, in this uh, uh, little parable that Jesus tells about the sower, and he describes human response. He does talk about some falling among the thorns and the thorns sprang up and choked the life out of it. So I want to help you uh, with this part of it and capture this picture about good seed choked by thorns. And so we know this is true. We can minister to people and you can give them the eternal seed, the word of God, drop it in them. Uh, and there are some people, though, there are the thorns that are at work, the see other seeds that have been sown in their life, prevent that from really taking root in their life. And uh, they have attitudes or mindsets. Um, how many people here battle weeds in your yard? And they're there. Uh, I, I said weeds, by the way, not weed. Okay. Some of you are like, yeah, I, I got a problem with weed, Pastor Ruby. Um, how many know it doesn't take any skill to grow a weed? But it takes skill to grow grass or flowers. And in order for you to be successful in growing what is good, you have to come to grips with the weeds that are fighting for the sun and fighting for the, for the soil and fighting for the water and contending against what is good. And so the Lord Jesus is saying, he said that, you know, when you're trying to get people to understand the kingdom of God, you, 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 the big issue here is what is already there, what's already working in the soil, what's already there competing for their thoughts and their affections and their minds. And this is going to be a struggle. And so we're talking about something that's part of the curse when men fell. Genesis 3, 17 and 18. Then to Adam he said, Because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for your sake, and toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the herb of the field. You know, prior to the fall, apparently there were no weeds. Thank you, Adam and Eve. 
the idea is that part of the curse is these weeds exist. And they're there. And so whenever you and I are trying to embrace something, a, a truth, their thorns and thistles are, are working against it. We bring mindsets, we bring uh, uh, strongholds that are at work. And so something that could be as wonderful as Jesus is a healer, God wants to heal our bodies and all that. And we're like, that's great, let's do it. But, but unfortunately, that's not the entire equation. Part of, part of the equation is what may be there existing that's ready to choke out what God is doing and how he wants to minister. Matthew 13, 24 through 26. Another example he put forth to them saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, the enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the grain had sprouted and produced a crop, then the tares also appeared. His so, that, that's all we need right here. That, so here again is this imagery of there's this ground. Good seed is sown in this ground, but the Bible says an enemy comes and he sows tares among the wheat, weeds. And, uh, you know, uh, I, years ago I preached a sermon about how I think it's a picture of the human personality that... Here's man created in the image of God, but let's be honest, there's some tares among the wheat. We have fallen nature now. The enemy, the serpent came and with Adam and Eve and, and the fall. And so, you know, uh, people grow up and the human beings are absolute amazing. The dominion that God has given man. I, I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings here, but uh, men are superior to animals. I know today you have to apologize before you say that, but... Uh, Men are, are a wonder. We're not the biggest species in the world. We're not the strongest species or the fastest species or anything else. But we have something God gave us that the rest of creation does not have. And so men rule the world. And yet, because we have that stamp that, that we are the image of God, but yet at the same time, our world's messed up because we have another side. We have tares among the wheat. And so this is working in us, and so this is part of the struggle. So here you can have the simple truth, God heals. But the Bible says at the critical moment when that wonderful harvest can be brought to fruition, here comes the tear appearing to now resist that fruit. It comes up, the Bible says, the tares also appeared. Right at harvest time, right at the time when it's this, the benefit of the, of the blessing is about to be brought forth, now you've got these weeds here that are opposing it, challenging it, and uh, this is working. Now, I'll give you a little personal testimony, and maybe some of the folks that have been around for a long time might remember this. But I remember back in, I, I started pastoring uh, when uh, in 1983, my wife and I went out to pastor. And I've told you, when I got saved in 1979, we were a Pentecostal church, tongue-talking church. And, but praying for the sick, I wouldn't say it wasn't de-emphasized uh, that we prayed for the sick. We would go forward for prayer, to, and we'd have evangelists, and we'd have prayer lines and all this stuff, and, and people would uh, pray. But there wasn't a whole lot of uh, strategy 
or any of the dynamics that you, you're familiar with today at all. It was basically pray for the sick. And um, there was a little jar of, uh, of olive oil that was in the uh, pulpit. And uh, sometimes Pastor Order would take it and, and put some on your forehead and pray for you. Not always. Uh, we'd have evangelists come, and if you were sick, and, you know, there'd be, you know, 50 people in line, and they'd have the music playing, and he'd lay hands. And, but that was kind of how it was. I went out to pastor and did the same thing, prayed for people, and, and sometimes people got healed. But it was just kind of, that's just what we do, but no, no real thought given to it uh, any deeper than that. And I remember when Pastor Mitchell began to uh, challenge us, and healing, and he began to talk about praying for the sick and, and contending for that, that there was, and I was asked him about this when he was here a couple of weeks ago, because I told him I was teaching on this, about how, it, I remember there was a struggle. It wasn't just, wow, this, let's do it. There was a, 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 a demonic pushback that was behind the scenes where there was a part of it, people like, you know, are we going to pray for the sick again? And, and why are you doing this? And, and this, this, this was a very real spiritual struggle. And I want to tell you the most common response of people when we began to really contend for healing was what about Pastor Warner? I remember that. He's my pastor. I'm very close to him. And I remember that back then it was, what about Harold? And that, and that was very common. It was like, uh, well, what about him? And it, and it wasn't, you know, I mean, I, I know Pastor Warner. I used to go ask Pastor to pray for me when I needed to get healed. I never, I never even crossed my mind that there was any contradiction that he's sitting in a wheelchair praying for me to get healed. Didn't even, didn't even think about it. But yet that response came out of people. Well, what about this? As if somebody who hasn't gotten a physical healing somehow has now disqualified this eternal truth. And there was this automatic response. This, this, and what, I look back now and I realize what it was. It was a tear among the wheat. It was a mindset that basically said that if God doesn't heal everybody, then he can't heal anybody. So anyway, we're going to pick up with this part of it next week. We got a lot of ground to cover and we're going to talk about some of the, we, the tears that choke the wonderful truth here. But we like to end with a testimony, an uplifting testimony. Give the microphone to Gilbert. And Gilbert Chavez has a, a testimony. You got to stand for this one, Gilbert, and uh, share what God did for you. Okay, <clears throat> thank you. In 1988, I was diagnosed with renal kidney failure. At that time, my kidneys were at 12%, and I was a stage three renal failure. There's only five stages in that, one being bad and five being catastrophic. And... Um, the reason I mention this first is because the kidneys are our are, um, are, are filtering system in our bodies. Without that, all the blood, when it goes through, it gets cleaned up and whatever toxins are in the blood, they get taken out. And because I, my kidneys were not working the way they were supposed to, a lot of toxins stayed in my blood, especially these called uric acid crystals. Now, these crystals are like sharp needles on either end and they gather in the the um 
the joints of your feet, your hands, your elbows. And anything, the main thing that really aggravates them is where they get three or four times their size is like chocolate, pork, uh, orange juice, grapefruit juice, anything that has citric acid, I had to stay away from because it would really uh, aggravate these. And these things were like so, so painful. I even had a woman tell me one time that she would rather have uh, labor pain without an epidural than go through a full-blown episode of gout. And I did that for about uh, 97. I contracted the, the gout in my right left foot, and it was extremely painful. At least once a year, I had a full-blown episode. So bad that even the weight of a sheet on my foot was extremely painful, and I couldn't do anything about it. And the doctors told me, there's no cure for the gout. Even today, there's no cure. Medication, morphine, won't even bother it. Won't even touch it. And then back in January of uh, 2011, evangelist Dennis Wright came for revival. And on Tuesday night, he asked for certain people who had certain illnesses to go up and to be prayed for. Well, he didn't mention the gout, but he did say something about chronic pain. So that was me. But I didn't go up there. I just stayed right where I was here. And when he prayed the prayer, I prayed it also. And as soon as we finished, immediately I knew that I was healed. There was nothing fantastic about it. It's just the knowledge was there. I knew I was done. I couldn't eat bacon. I couldn't drink orange juice for all those years from 97 to 2011. I couldn't enjoy that. So when we left that night, I told Stella, let's stop by La Fiesta. I want to get something. She goes, why? I want to buy a pound of bacon. She goes, you're crazy. You can't do that. So I said, yeah, I want to do that. So we stopped. We bought it. We also bought a big jar of orange juice. So the next morning, saw her off to work. I cooked six slices of bacon, three eggs over easy, and a big glass of orange juice. So I drank it. I ate it. And I waited. And I waited. And I waited. Nothing happened. Absolutely nothing. And I was totally healed. So when I went to the doctor, he said, what happened? I said, I got prayed over. Jesus healed me. And he said, well, that's the only way you could have been healed because there's no, no anything for gout. No cure at all. Eight years, Gilbert? Say again? Eight years now and no pain. No, no pain whatsoever. Still eating bacon? Yes, sir. <laughs> Every morning. <laughs> No, I think the reason people like these testimonies is last week you had permission to go to Baskin Robbins. This week you get bacon. People are going to be healed and weigh 15 pounds heavier, you know. How many here say, you know what, honey, let's stop over and get a pound of bacon. I just want to believe God today. Hallelujah. God is a miracle working God. See, that's a simple truth, isn't it? And yet it, 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 the, 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 the thorns and the thistles can reach in and but. But, how do I know? You hear a promise and then that but emerges. This is going to be a tremendous revival this week. I want to encourage you to be in every service and God is going to help us and to be able to say, you know what, Lord, I'm leaving all the thorns and thistles. I'm going to weed eat my mind this week in this revival and, and just simply open my heart and let God be God and not immediately hear something and have a, have a, a rebuttal as to why that, you know, what, what about this, what about that? Why not just believe the gospel? 
and say, God, you're able to do this. You're able to move and have your way in our lives. This is a very powerful, powerful thing uh, that God can do. Praise the Lord. Okay, we're going to go ahead and stop right here. We'll pick up uh, with this uh, church in a few minutes and we'll pick up this study next week. The Lord bless you.